You're not going to believe this. We are about to finish chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. Astonishing. Astonishing. Does anybody have any idea how long we've been through four chapters? <laughs> no, no. See, back before Paul wrote it, <laughs> we started this when he started dictating it. <laughs> Two years, four chapters. I really want to get into the Gospel of Luke and the letter to the Ephesians. <laughs> sure, he does. <laughs> Let's pray and read the word of the Lord. We are looking at verses 16 through 18 of chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. Father, we come before you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, as we look at this day, this age, this time, let us rest in the assurance that it is for such this time that you have placed each of us. Father, as we look at this letter from our dear brother and beloved Apostle Paul, that we understand the urgency of the ministry and yet the adequacy of the ministry coming from you. Father, help us. Help us to lean full weight upon you, your ways, your plans, and your purposes. Father, may we decrease as you increase. And Father, as we look at this text specifically, and we understand that being called children of the Most High God demands endurance. And yet, Father, even in that, you have blessed us. To your praise and to your glory, in Christ's name, amen. Verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us and an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, and the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul is basically in three very condensed verses giving us endurance. He's already showed us in the beginning of chapter 4, that we have ministry. If you're saved, you are a minister, period. It's non-negotiable. The effectiveness of your ministry will be solely and wholly based on your endurance. John 15 says, if we abide in Him, then He will abide in us. Okay, The word abide there is always a really cool word, but it just remains. That's what it means. Do I remain? Do I remain? Now listen, I watch people come and go in droves because of the lack of endurance. Okay? It is amazing to me to watch people believe that I am being called to ministry. Well, if you're saved, uh, duh. Okay? You're already in the ministry. The key to the ministry is going to be this. It's just as simple. Will I endure? But what you and I all fall into is what is our success? You know, if I'm going to be in the ministry, I want to be successful. Well, what do you do with Jeremiah's ministry? 
What do you do with Ezekiel's ministry? Isaiah's ministry. Were they successful? Absolutely. Why? They did exactly what God asked them to do. I mean, if you're really looking at the success that you and I have been immersed in and corrupted by, it's always going to be based on numbers. Okay? If that's true, Jesus was a failure. Because he couldn't keep the numbers. I mean, if you're making food out of nothing, I'm in. But as soon as he started bringing the hard stuff along, what happened? They all left. I mean, even the group, core group disciples, one betrayed him. One denied him. And the, the other ten, poof, they scattered. They scattered. When I look at the Apostle Paul and I think about his ministry, and especially at the time of the writing of this, I see a man who's hurting. I mean, he wrote these two long letters to the Corinthian church. And as he wrote these two letters to the Corinthian church, we need to ask ourselves a question. He's not really happy with what's going on there, but yet his love compels him to keep dealing with it. And I mean, the Corinthian church were publicly and personally attacking his integrity. And yet he was unrelenting and drawing them back, drawing them back. Now, I know that none of us have ever been persecuted our integrity. None of us have ever been discouraged in our discipling or being disciple. None of us have ever thought, what's the point? But if you have... I would highly suggest that you look at your brother Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, and say, how did he do it? And we looked at it in verse 16. He looked more to the spiritual over the physical. Okay? Now, we do this today, brothers and sisters. I don't care who you are. Okay? Are they a gifted speaker? Okay? Do they have a a talent for holding a crowd? Paul says he's not much to look at. He can't really speak that well. Now, dude can write. Dude can write. But if you really look at him, and you ever really listen to him, he's not that impressive. And it's obvious he can't be doing something right, or all these people wouldn't be hating him. Why would they despise him when he's trying to get him into heaven? Right? I remember a dear friend of mine who's in glory right now. He's going through a whole bunch of nasty stuff. Cancer. And I remember I was up visiting him at the hospital one time. And uh, he says, I've been reading my Bible. And I said, well, that's always positive. And he says, I've been reading Job. Well, there you go. He says, you know, I have in my past, I've asked the Lord to give me patience. But I was uh, thinking about the book of Job, and I thought, Lord, do with me as you want, but not as to Job. And you know what? God answered that prayer. God took him home. He didn't do that to Job. 
anybody ever looked at it from that perspective? Well, I didn't get accomplished. What? Perhaps you wasted time. When I read this and I sit there and I say, we do not lose heart. We do not lose our boldness. We do not become timid. We do not grow weary. We, though the outer man is decaying. Okay? The outer man is decaying. The outer man is decaying. Tell me the Bible isn't truth. The outer man is decaying. I mean, you can buy creams and pills and you go get some surgery and all the rest of it. But you know what? Still decaying. You know, I, I tell people, I said, I can do everything I could do when I was 20. I can do it now. It just takes me forever to heal. I used to be able to do it and heal quickly. Now it's like six months later. Are we done yet? And Paul says, if we take and put the emphasis on the outer man, you're going to miss the emphasis on the spiritual. Look what he says there. Yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Ephesians chapter 3, he prays that the Holy Spirit in the inner man will strengthen you so that Christ will dwell in you. Well, Christ will be at home in you. And then the fullness of God will be in there. And then you will do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you could think or imagine. But there's a process. And the focus that you and I struggle with is the outer man. One of the things that I see the evangelical church doing today is that we are trying to win people by the process of showing you something on the outer man. You know, I, I, the, the big thing now is uh, be casual as a pastor. What the heck does that mean? Leave my sweatpants on and get me a chair up here? Oh, wait. I think a guy's already done that. All right, you know, it, it started, well, don't, you don't always have to wear a tie. Well, I know that. Well, you know, wear you a Hawaiian shirt. I will when you guys send me to Hawaii. All right, you know, the guy said, well, I preach in flip-flops. And that brings glory to what? Which brings me to the second point. Verse 17, future over the present. <laughs> Amen, brother momentary light affliction. Paul's being stoned and left for dead. Paul is being arrested for no reason. Paul's life is in danger in the city and in the country. He's been shipwrecked and left for dead in the deep. Okay? And he says, it's momentary light affliction. Dude, since you stepped into the ministry, you have been afflicted. But it's momentary. Oh, and it's light. It has fluff to it. Someone stone me and leave me for dead. I'm not calling it fluff. But he looked at it and he says, Nah, I'm looking to the future. Why? I'm not worried about what's going on around me right now. Are you kidding? I'm headed for glory. I press on for the upward calling of Christ. You and I get tangled up in the now. And if you want to see something that is one of the greatest joys that I have in my life is watch the people who love to plan their plans come apart. Because everybody says, well, you never plan nothing. 
And you know what? I never get excited over something that doesn't work out. I don't lose any sleep over it. You know, my plans exist of a very simple thing. If I wake up tomorrow, here we go. And once you start going farther than that, you know, my daughter's going to get married here in the 3rd of December. And everybody's flittering around. And they said, well, aren't you excited about this? Ain't it November? Yep. Ain't you getting married in December? Yep. Well, I've got a month to get through yet. And then I'll cross the excitement bridge if I get to it. But if Jesus says, come on home, I'm going to be excited. Okay. Well, but you don't know. Am I going to look on the present? Or am I going to look to the future? I prefer the future myself. I mean, God has blessed me in ways that I cannot even comprehend it. Um, you, many of you know a lot about my life. I lost my father when I was 12. My dad never seen me go to the prom, never seen me get my driver's license, never seen me graduate, never seen me do anything. Okay. I mean, we went hunting one time, bird hunting, and we got into a covey of quail. And I was probably about that tall and these old soybeans. And these birds all come up around me and I hit the dick. He shot two and that was my hunting experience. <laughs> no wonder you walk around and here you carry a gun. Okay? But that was, that was the, ex, the extent of what I had. All right? I have got to see all of my kids go to prom. I've got to see all of my kids... Uh, graduate high school, drive. I'm not real happy about that, but they did it anyway. Okay. Um, I have a granddaughter. You know? Really? What more do I need? Okay. No one on my dad's side of the family made it past 44. Day after Thanksgiving, I hit the double nickel. I've set a new world record. But you know what? I look at it as a whole. It really isn't that big a deal. And my kids are all going, to see, he just don't care. You're right. I'm ready to step into glory. I'm ready. Why? I am truly blessed. I don't need any more. And yet I watch the body of Christ get tangled up in the present. And how much energy do we use on it? And did you get that part that says that the outer man is rotten? It's rotten away. It's going to have an odor to it. Pungent. But if we look at the weight of the glory to come, to the degree we suffer in the ministry is to the glory that will be given to us. It's a greater capacity to praise and to honor God. And yet I see so many Christians today who are worried about the right now that they're forfeiting the ability of the weighty glory to come. 
When you're in trials, when you enter into the valley of the shadow of death, what's your first response? First thing crosses your head. Get me out of this and hurry. Can I walk around the valley? It may take me a little longer. But we forget that thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Oh, did I tell you who your shepherd was? Even in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. Which brings me to the last point of this chapter. Verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Okay? We're trying to endure. We are saved. We are in the ministry. To be successful in the ministry, we must endure. Let us endure. How do I do that? First, spiritual is way more important than physical. Okay? Second thing, am I looking at the present or am I looking at the future? Which do I put greater value on? Thirdly, the eternal over the temporal. When the eternal and what is eternal is more important, now get this, than time and that that is temporal. Okay? When you look at the eternal, you have to look at it in two perspectives. One is the time element. Okay? The second is what is eternal? Okay? Because you and I are bound by time. And if I focus on time, then I am focused on the temporal. We endure. We persevere. We do it with a contentment. We do it with joy. We do it with hope. In all of our pain. In all of our sorrows, in all of our trials, in all of our suffering, all of our heartache, we endure because we value what is eternal over what is temporal. Listen, I, you know, there's so many times I go through Scripture and I write this phrase down and I keep thinking, I already said that once, but oh well, I'll say it again. This is very important. This is a very important verse right here. Verse 18. Okay, let me show you this. That phrase right there in the beginning of verse 18. While we look. While we look. That's just fascinating in the original language. The only way that we can endure in ministry. Okay. Is while we. While you. What? Look. The key idea, okay? The phrase in the Greek is a conditional force, okay? It takes this force for this condition, all right? As long as you look, as long as your gaze is fixed, you will endure, okay? What is my gaze fixed on? 
Well, I'm trying to endure. I need this vision. I need this view of the spiritual. Future is not automatic. But if I'm looking at the spiritual and the text tells me it demands a constant look. Answer me this question. How easy can you be focused on the heavenlies and all of a sudden you're not? And it can happen like really fast. There's times that I, I get into my studies and, 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 I, and I, my family knows this. I call it hanging out in the heavenlies. Okay, I've got everything off. The ringer on the phones are off. The radio's off. I've got my books. I've got my Bible. And I've got my knees. And I'm, wow, this is an awesome place. Me, Jesus, Paul. Every once in a while, Peter shows up. He's still obnoxious. But you're having a blast with it. And then all of a sudden, Peter, deal with that. Can I use your bathroom? We're playing tennis. Can I beat you with your racket? So you can see Jesus. But it happens that quick. You're hanging out with praises to God and all of a sudden. Lord, is that? I thought it was going to be a trumpet. As long as your gaze is fixed in the right place. It demands a constant look. Okay. At what? What do I look at? Well, it's easy. Not at things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. All right. Well, let's see. I'm supposed to be more concerned about my spiritual strength than my physical strength. I'm supposed to be more concerned about the future than the present. Um, hmm, I wonder what that is. You have to look at what is invisible, not the visible. You and I have a hard time of not focusing on time and temporal. Okay? We are creatures based on senses, and all of our senses are based on the temporal and the time factor. Don't look at that which belongs to time. Think about it. That's amazing if you really stop and think about it. Because you think about the stuff that just snatches that constant gaze. And what are they always based on? Time and temporal. Time and temporal. Anything that belongs to time, anything that begins or ends with time, anything that perishes. Okay, I've narrowed it down now. All I have to understand is that's just the whole universe and creation and everything that's in it. <laughs> Whoa. So what, I should walk around my eyes shut? 
Some of you should. Um, my Bible says God will create a new heaven and a new earth. Which means this place is not eternal. It is based on time. Okay. So all creation is time and temporal. Who am I supposed to be looking at? It's easy. God, Christ, Holy Spirit, and one other. Souls of men. Those are what you focus on. Constantly. Now, you could toss in there holy angels. But my question is always, why? Aren't they subject to to me? I mean, they are my protector. Uh, they are my guardians. Um, you know, and you know, and I've run into a handful of people a few times who are into the angelic. You know, have you ever bound a demon? No. <laughs> well, why not? I try to avoid them. Okay? And they're invisible. And the thing is, is that sometimes they're there to afflict me because God says I'm not paying enough to His grace. And I don't want to step into that boat either. So I just sort of do-do-do-do. Let the holy angels do what the holy angels do. The fallen angels can do what they want to do. I will focus on God. I will focus on Christ. I will focus on the Holy Spirit. And I will focus on the souls of men. Now then, think about this for a second. Do you realize that if you do a cursory study of the person of Paul and his writings in the New Testament, can you tell me what issues he was focused on? Fascinating. Don't you think that's fascinating? His focus is God, Christ, Holy Spirit, souls of men. When you think about Paul's focus, you have to ask yourself a question. When did he focus on objects? Possessions, ideas, systems, achievements. All of that is part of this passing world. And it didn't matter to the Apostle Paul. It was not his focus. He took no interest in it. I mean, he had a time where I need a coat. It's cold here. And his response was, God, would you please give me a coat? Nope. Timothy, bring me my jacket. No. Paul didn't worry about his 401k. He wasn't concerned about his estates, his house. None of that stuff mattered. His family, you know, what do you think your legacy will be? You hear that what will you be remembered for? I ain't going to ever be remembered. Are you kidding me? You know that even the guys who got their heads on Mount Rushmore is passing. 
All of that stuff belongs to the to the world. If you go to D.C., you see monument after monument after monument after monument. And don't get me wrong, it's pretty impressive. It is pretty impressive. If you get a chance to go see, the most impressive one that I have ever seen is the Memorial to the Korean War. Okay, now, World War II was sort of, wow. But you come back around the hill there and back up through the trees, and all of a sudden you come into this group that is the one for Korea, and it will freak you out because <laughs> you're not sure. Because when you first see it, you're like, I walked in the wrong place. But it, it is a, a squad of soldiers made out of cast something, dressed in war, Korean War, and they're bigger than life. Okay, and they all have these faraway eyes, they used to call them. And then on the one wall, they're coming up a hill, up out of the trees. And on the one wall is the name of the dead. But when you walk past the wall, holographs of different people's faces show up as you walk past it. <laughs> and you're sitting there going, huh. <laughs> okay, and then up at the top is what they call them things where the water is. Reflecting pool. But it will sort of, Oh, hello. <laughs> Let's go over to Vietnam Memorial. <laughs> it's just black marble. It doesn't talk to me. Okay. Now, I'm not against memorials. That's not what I'm saying. I want you to understand that. But you know what? All that passes. It all passes. If you look at what the world standard is, it would have to conclude that Paul is a failure. He was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were honored among all Jews. Why? Because they were suffering and walking faithfully in the righteousness of the Torah. And all the people loved the Pharisees because they looked at the Sadducees as a bunch of crooks. And we have this religious group over here. Do you understand? They will cover their eyes if a woman goes by. So they will not even be tempted with adultery. They carry a box tied to their forehead with prayers to God on it. So they're always praying. These are godly men. He was one of those. Everybody in the Jewish community wanted to be associated with a Pharisee. He's got to be doing something wrong because everybody wants him dead. And he left the best religion that is out there. He was educated. Tarsus University was there. He was Hellenistic in his background and Jewish in his background. He was a real religious man. He knows society. He's educated in both. The religious side and the philosophical side. He could make an amazing contribution to the world. Because of his educational background. And yet, he's beaten. He's jailed. What's he doing wrong? Then you would have those in the background who would say, What a wasted life. He had to be doing something wrong. The hostility, the jailing, everybody mad at him. Yet he has this talent and this educational background. You know what? The people of his day would say, somebody's going to kill him. You cannot be 
that antagonistic and not have somebody finally just kill you. Do you understand the political influence Paul could have had? He could have had it with the Romans. Could have had it with the Jews. He could have been the peacemaker between the two. And but you know what is amazing? It's not Paul's focus. He didn't look at the things that were seen. He had no interest in the things that were seen. The thing that consumed Paul were the things that you can't see. He had a more, a a greater surpassing concern with the invisible than essential reality. And you have to have that to be an enduring minister. You have to look past it. You have to look past it. What Paul couldn't see? The eternal God. He lived for God. His life was for the worship and the honoring of God. I mean, read his writings. All you run into verse after verse is doxologies. You know what a doxology is? Praise to God. And then all of a sudden you roll into benedictions. Invocations for blessing. From God. That's his writings. It's all God-focused. It's all Christ-focused. That was poured from his heart. You see it in his letters. You see it in his prayers. His focus was the Godhead. Be a follower of me as I am of Christ. Christ was the goal of his life. Christ was the only value of his life. He passed and pressed to that goal. And it's invisible, brothers and sisters. You can't see it. You know it's in the future. And yet, are we consumed by it? Or does the temporal consume us? Christ was everything for Paul. To live was Christ. To die is Gain the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Do not walk in the flesh. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. So you see God and His doxology and benedictions. You see His life was depressed to Christ. And then all I want to do is manifest the person of the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's it. It absorbed Him. To gain comfort? Really? No. Fruit of the Spirit. Manifest the Spirit. See it in His life. Yet there's too many of us today are looking for comfort. We are looking for the temporal. Think about the amount of mental energy that each and every one of us use on the temporal time-based versus on the eternal invisible. Not bound by time. He lived for the souls of men. What was his ministry? He wished himself 
accursed. He wished himself cut off from Christ. Would his people Israel be saved? That's sort of a focus on souls, don't you think? Being that they all wanted him dead. He put his life on the line for the Gentiles. How many times did he go to prison for the Gentiles? He walked into Gentile cities and you know it had to kill him. Well, look at, talk, go in the book of Acts and look at what he was experiencing when he was walking around Athens. It's killing him. He has to be in it. Why does he tolerate the Corinthians? If they denied me in front of people saying that, no, I was useless, I wasn't truly called by God, and yet I was the one who planted that church, I bet I'd send them a letter. I'd send him the one severe letter that we don't have and say, you're not on my Christmas list. And I'm taking you off of my Facebook, friend. He put his life on the line to reach the Gentiles with the gospel. His concern for souls of believers day in and day out. His walk was that, that they would walk worthy of being sanctified. Why did he write letters to churches? Read them. I want you in the church to be stronger. I want you to be more holy. I want you to be more Christ-like. I want you to walk worthy. He lived in the invisible world. It consumed him. It was his passion. It was his focus. That was his single concern. And you know what was amazing about it? He never moved off of it. God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, souls of men. Period. And you couldn't budge him. He looked beyond the temporal. That is how the Apostle Paul endured. Moses endured. Hebrews tells us in 11. For the sake of the things that he couldn't see. Jesus understood this. An amazing text. I was reading through this just the other day. It really begins the context. I'll read you the whole context and then just kind of jump on a part of it. This is uh, the unrighteous steward that Jesus speaks of in uh, uh, Luke 16. Um, He's saying to his disciple that there was a rich man who had a manager. And this manager was to report to him with the squandering of his possessions. And he called him and said, "Uh, what is this I hear about you? And give an accounting of your management for uh, you uh, can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, am I not strong enough to to dig? And I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do. So when I remove from the management, people will come to me and to their homes. He summoned each one of his master's debtors. And he began saying to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, 100 measures of oils. And he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. After he said to another, how much do you owe? 100 measures of wheat. Said to him, take your bill and write down 80. His master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. Well, wait a minute. Sounded to me like he's cheating. But he acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in their relation to their own kind than the sons of light. 
Now he's comparing lost to saved. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, you will receive, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. And he who is faithful with a very little thing is faithful also with much. He who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous, what? Also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful with the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with the true riches? That is an amazing parable that we miss. He says, look at the shrewdness of the unrighteous. They are able to multiply and get themselves friends who will take care of them. And they do it by unrighteous means. You, who have been given the keys to the kingdom, are you faithful or are you going to use unrighteous means to deal with this? Because to whom much is given, much is required. Jesus says, lay up your treasure in heaven where rust, thief, and moth cannot destroy. And what you're looking at is Jesus teaching you and I, are you worried about the temporal right now? Or are you worried about the eternals? It's sort of like this. I heard this, and, and you'll have to forgive me. It's a great illustration. Did you know that God has given the body of Christ exactly the amount of money that the body of Christ needs to do God's work? Do you know that? Exactly. The problem is we haven't taken it out of our pockets. What you have monetarily is a gift from God. And you are but a steward. If you are faithful with a little, you'll have more. Oh, but you sound like you're... I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Just telling you what the Bible says. You know, I, I had a guy one time, we were in downtown, a guy said, well, you know, it's a sin for the church to borrow money. And I said, really? He says, yeah. Wow. I said, that's bad. He says, why is that? I said, because you're a sinner, because I know you didn't pay cash for your house. I can go borrow money to do my temporal thing, but I... <laughs> and half of the things that I see in the church today, and I deal with some other pastors here in town... Their churches are so much in debt. And I'm not talking about the church is in debt. The people are so in debt, they can't give a dime to God. Why? Because they had to have the big screen TV or the flat screen TV or the LED this or the this, that, or the other. Really? And yet I know for a fact that God has given to the body of Christ exactly the amount of money that he needs to get his work done. And then he says, okay, to you who are my stewards... What are you going to do with it? 
Why? Because that's that focus. Am I focused on the eternal? Four eternals. God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Okay, ask yourself a simple question. How much money do I spend on those four versus what I spend on the temporal? That messes with me. At times that hurts my feelings. This text, back to 2 Corinthians 4, this text shows the secrets of endurance. We focus on the inner man. We focus on spiritual strength and we focus on the future. We have to take our eyes off of our present pain. We have to look at the glory of the future and we have to be consumed with the invisible. Okay, now here's the the hard part as a pastor, okay? I can't make anybody focus on God. I can't make anybody focus on Christ. I can't make anybody focus on the Holy Spirit. And I definitely can't make anybody focus on the souls of men. I can't. And if you don't have that passion to consume you right now, let me tell you something. And I'm going to say it as gentle as I can. You guys are going, oh, that's going to be a good one. You have absolutely no endurance in ministry. None. Sorry. And you know what? To quote a very dear friend of mine, <laughs> you have a pathetic walk. The world looks at you and sees no difference. Between what they do and what you do. When you, when we do this, spiritual, future, eternal, <laughs> let, I, you know what? When we do that, just let, let me tell you what Paul says. And, and, and you'll understand it. When you have a value over the spiritual, when you put your value on the future and you put your value on the eternal, then you can be afflicted in every way, but not crushed. You can be perplexed, but not despair. You can be persecuted, and realize that you are not forsaken. You can be struck down, but not destroyed. And it is as simple as enduring. And enduring is I put my focus on the spiritual over the physical. I put my focus on the future over the present. I put my focus on the eternal over the temporal. When they take place, afflicted. Crushed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, have no effect whatsoever. No effect. And the truth of the matter is, it puts an eternal weight of glory into our future. Each one of us should say, thank you, Father, for showing us how to endure.
Let's pray. Father, I thank you for my brother Paul. I thank you for the amazing things that he has done. Lord, help us. Help us to have ears to hear. Help us to have eyes to see. Father, you've already said it before us. It lays here. May we fix our gaze on the invisible. Help us, Lord. We see it in Paul. The same spirit that had him is the same one that has us. Help us, Lord, to rest in that assurance. Your glory and praise. Amen.